Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the show. We are going to visit with a gentleman who not only was a champion boxer and still may be, uh, but he is also a uh, color analyst on the show that I work on, uh, Showtime Championship Boxing. We're going to visit with Abner Maras, so that should be a lot of fun. We also, of course, are going to take your questions that you send to me uh, at Al Bernstein on Twitter. And for that and uh, other things, we bring in my co-host, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Hi, Trip. How you doing? I'm doing great, Al, and uh, great to see Abner because he is really a character, and I think he's made a great transition from being a boxer to an announcer and possibly back to being a boxer again. Yeah, he really has. Uh, I think he's starting to feel more feel comfortable in the role, and uh, and he's a lovely, lovely guy, so he's a joy to work with, and uh, and you know has given us so many great boxing memories, that's for sure. Yeah, and it's tough on him because you guys don't have the proximity. Normally, when a, a fighter is coming up and starting to broadcast, and he'd be right next to you, and this makes it much more difficult. Yeah, yeah. I think we, you know, uh, we've talked about the fact that uh, all bro- some broadcasters have even been remote, done in the fights remote where they're each in their own home. I don't think anybody's doing that now. Uh, but uh, the fact is, it makes it more difficult. You do need the proximity to kind of just get that human interaction uh, the right way. But, but, but we, we, we commented on our last broadcast to each other afterwards that we thought, you know, we're starting to figure that out. And it's, uh, it's tricky, though. Yeah. Well, we've got some great questions as usual this week. And this is one of those, the first question from <laughs> Slavin, one Slavin. If Mike Tyson convincingly beats Roy Jones, do you think he has a legit chance of becoming a champion again? And that would make him the youngest and the oldest champ. 
Yeah, he has exactly the same chance to become heavyweight champion now as I have to be the next sitting pope. <laughs> and, you know, I'm estimating there, but I think I think that's pretty much it. Uh, no, Mike Tyson does not have a chance to be heavyweight champion. Even if he beat Roy Jones, uh, I assure you that will not happen. Uh, he's not ready. He's, you know, the best way to look at this is when Mike Tyson ended his career, when he was still a fighter, he lost twice to Danny Williams and um, McBride. Uh, both were not even top heavyweights. And I, bro- I broadcast both those fights. He lost them both. He got knocked out in both those fights. So why on earth do we think there is any chance that he could beat a Deontay Wilder or a uh, a Tyson Fury? That just isn't going to happen. So no, I hate to I hate to be the bearer of bad tidings and the Grinch that stole Christmas, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Okay. Well, you uh, call him the way you see him. And what can I say? <laughs> and I could be wrong. So, uh... You know, there I was wrong in 1997. So <laughs> my nose is growing just from saying that. Anyway. <laughs> it, it's funny how this exhibition has taken on a life of its own. And every time yeah. Tyson has sends out a video from training, you, right. you th- think back to when he was the baddest man on the yeah, planet. And, but- you know, it, it, and he looks all impressive for about a minute hitting the pads and you know, showing he's and he's in great shape. He looks like he's in excellent condition now. So that part, you know, for a man that his age. So, Father Time has never lost. No. Okay. Jander LaBeouf writes: Which division would you consider the glamour division now? And is it still in the hands of the welterweights? The lighting lighter guys seem to be really tearing it up. Yeah, Jander, by the way, uh, is a very very fine journalist and. Uh, uh, and and uh, TV personality and and uh, internet personality uh, and uh, not just in boxing she covers boxing but she has done great work uh, in covering entertainment and other fields as well so I appreciate her sending that in uh, it's a good question too because the welterweights have long been considered the 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 one division that we look at and and that division is still extremely uh, strong and deep. But uh, I, I think there are other divisions, like the 154-pound division, which is terrific, um, has so many good fighters. And then another weight division that I'm going to kind of maybe suggest might even be there, uh, it's the 122-pound division, the super bantamweight division. Um, there are a number of fighters who are terrific and look like they are on track to fight each other. So that is part of my reasoning why I suggest that division might be there. Uh, it's a, the, that division has MJ Akhmadaliev, uh, who is a terrific fighter, who won a split decision win, a very narrow win over Daniel Roman to win the title. And then there's Daniel Roman, who, uh, who barely lost to him and wants a rematch. Uh, Daniel just recently uh, won an important fight, and he is now on track to maybe fight uh, – Another champion, Luis Neri, who is also exciting, a left-hander with all kinds of power, who is just a, a really a terrific fighter. Uh, and, and then you look at Brandon Figueroa, uh, who has one of the versions of the titles at that weight, and uh, a young man who is a wildly exciting action fighter, but also a vulnerable one who sometimes gets hit with punches that 
he shouldn't get hit with. And then there's a, a fighter that wants to maybe move up to that weight class, John Riel Casimero. And uh, he uh, just scored a big knockout victory. He's in the weight class below it at Bantamweight. And I think it will be a very short period of time before he moves up because those big fights in that division are waiting for him. So I, I kind of think 122 is where I would look um, for that. Um, now, speaking of great fighters in the lower weight divisions, uh, that describes our guest this week. Uh, he won multiple championships uh, and uh, fought at one point, and we get into that in the interview with him, fought at one point one of the toughest schedules I think any fighter in my career has fought. Uh, the only other fighter I would put in the same category over a period of time, a short period of time to fight that level of competition that I remember was Carl Frotch, who fought Murderer's Row for a while in the 168-pound division. So we had a, a wide-ranging and fun conversation with uh, Abner Maris. Let's hear it now. Hey, Al, good news. We have a great new sponsor of the show, and that's my bookie. And as you and I have been involved with uh, handicapping for a lot of years, this is a great company. We're excited to have them on the show. And the good news is winning season returns at MyBookie. Winning season means doubling your first deposit. Winning season means insane props, epic bonuses, and the craziest cross-sport wagers. At MyBookie, winning season means watching live sports and betting live sports all season long. Rejoice! The NFL has returned. That means action-packed Sundays and huge cash prizes. Get in on the action and use promo code BERNSTEIN and double your first deposit. New players get up to 1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best this season for your chance to win big. Use promo code BERNSTEIN, that's promo code BERNSTEIN, B-E-R-N-S-T-E-I-N, and you will double your first deposit. Your winning season begins today only at my bookie. Abner, thanks so much for uh, joining me on the show. Uh, I want to give folks a chance, if they don't know, to know your story, which is really fascinating when you were a young man because your family moved to the United States when you were seven years old to California. But then... You went back to Mexico when you were 15. Tell us a little bit about how that took place, how, what the purpose was of you going back to Mexico and how that all worked out. Yes, uh, well, it was, um, you know, I came at the age of seven to the United States looking for a better life. Obviously, my parents were. Um, at the time, we were seven, seven siblings. And um, major reasons I, I left the, the States back to Mexico was because I was getting into trouble. You know, I lived in a lived in the city where you know all you saw was gang violence and mm. and, and nothing good you know and so I, I got caught up in the in the in that mix I started hanging out with the people I shouldn't have and uh, I got word to my dad that uh, I was about to get um, jumped in is what we called you know um, I was about to join this gang um, so once oh, he wow. found that out once he found that out he said nope you got too much talent, kid. You're a good fighter. You're out of here. So he sent me. Imagine the sacrifice, sending his son away from wow. the family uh, to an uncle's house in Guadalajara, Jalisco, Mexico, which is where I'm from, um, at the age of 14. Um, and, and I'm back in Mexico, back in, you know, mm. zero, back in 
a place where yes, I was born in, but yet I, I didn't know much of you know. I, you're, you're keep keep in mind, I left when I was there, seven. Yeah, I, kept, I left when I was seven years old. You know, yes, I went back to Mexico where where I was born, but didn't know much of it. And and believe it or not, you're not welcome as as good as you people might think that. Despite your Mexico and you go back, now people see you as a Chicano, they see you as a pocho, as they call it, and they don't really consider you a full on Mexican. So it was it was tough. It was tough. And 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 while you were there, of course, you um you continued boxing and you would end up um the what came out of that though, that was well, several things came out of it that was good. Number one, you got away from what was potentially a bad situation, and also you ended up fighting for Mexico in the 2004 Olympics. And in those Olympics, you lost in the first round in a very controversial decision to Zolt Bidek. Uh, that, was that a tough pill to swallow, losing uh, in a fight that probably you thought you might have won? It was. And, and I want to share a little bit about the story, too, Al. So when I'm, I'm in Mexico, 14 years old, again, I, I'm not not realized yet of how good I was, you know, as a fighter. I just, you know, I'm still a young kid, still getting mm -hmm. in trouble, did not care a bit about boxing. My, my dad really, really forced me into sport. Got the connects to send me to the boxing committee in Mexico City to actually try out for the Olympics and try, no, try out for the team first. You got to win yeah. a national to make the team. I get there. He said, hey, this kid's from the, you know, Mexican, but he comes from the U.S., has a great background. Test them out. They tested me out against the number one guy. Again, I'm there just saying hi. I'm like, okay, can you spot the number one guy? Yes, I spot the number one guy. I took his place. I beat him up. They tell me, hey, Abner, I'm 15, 14, yeah, 15 at the time. We're sending you to a boxing, a world boxing tournament, cadet world boxing tournament in Kaskamek, Hungary. Huh. The president tells me, Abner, which is, um, I'm sorry, who is Ricardo Contreras, who is still there as a president. And he tells me, Abner, if you can win one fight, I'll be more than happy. I swear to God, you could ask him. I tapped on his shoulder, 15. I'm 15 years old now. And I tell him, I'm not only going to win one fight, I'm going to win the whole tournament and bring back best boxer. He looks at me with a smirk. Yeah, sure. I go on, win the world tournament, come back with the you know, best fighter of the whole world tournament at the age of 15. So ever since then, I picked up nationals, internationals, uh, Pan Ams, Central Americans, world tournaments as an amateur. And again, a kid, Abramides did not still re realize of his qualities. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm good at it. Cool, cool. It wasn't <laughs> until I made the Olympics in the Pan Ams, I fought Guillermo Rigondeaux at the time in Santo Domingo uh, in a fight, a uh, really close fight. Um, inter interesting first round because I was the aggressive fighter, aggressor, and boring after the last two rounds because we know Guillermo Rigondeaux style. He ran a lot. He ran a lot, yeah. which he got a lot, a lot of booing for that. I lost the fight, but first and second will qualify for the Olympics. 2004, Athens, Greece, Abramides makes it to the Olympics. This young kid from Mexico, from the U.S., that no one gave a penny for. And now I'm at the Olympics facing a guy that I have faced in the prior tournaments. His name was... Um, Vedak, uh, I remember his yeah, last Zobidak, name. Yeah, so Vedak, yeah. So, so Vedak, correct, from Hungary. Like, oh, I got this. I know this guy. I do tremendous. I do tremendous. I, I box this kid, body shots, everything. It was a close fight, good fight, but I'm getting the best of them, Al. 
It was so bad, the decision, so bad. They still have it in, in, uh, till now. When you're watching TV, watching an Olympic game, they have your, 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 the flag of the country representing down here and the points next to it. I'm literally uh, hitting the guy, boom, 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 and his, his, his flag, his number up. goes up. Oh. What is going on? Obviously, obviously, I didn't realize this until I saw it, went back and saw the fight. Like, I got robbed bad against Sal yeah. Um, But, hey, you know, there's always something from something bad, something good comes of it. And, and a lot, I got a lot of eyes on me then. I, I, you know, despite me now making it to a second round, a lot of promoters were, were you know, knocking on my door, asking if you yeah. know, I wanted to sign with them. And, you know, at the end of the day, I ended up signing with, with uh, Oscar De La Hoya Golden Boy at the time. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just my career took off. Yeah, you, you did. of course, it, it, it really helped your career. And were, did you ever think, because he turned pro, Bidik, did you ever think or was it ever in the, in the works for you to fight him uh, as a professional? I'm just curious. <laughs> it was never in the works, but I did ask. Uh, I remember my promoter at the time, I told him, hey, if we could get my hands, if we could get our hands on, on this fighter, please, please, I beg you, I want him. But it just never happened. He was in Europe yeah. still fighting out there, and it just just never happened. Unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I would have loved, <laughs> I would have loved to fight him. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Um, now, you, as a professional, you did something that I think is one of the most remarkable uh, things that I've seen. You fought a schedule of fighters uh, from May of 2010 to August of 2013. You fought eight straight champions or former champions, uh, and you ended up 6-1-1 one, and one against them. Uh, six wins, one loss, and, and one draw. And here are, some, here are the, the, the names of most of those people. Joseph Agbeko, Victor Chinian, uh, Johan Perez, Eric Morell, Anselmo Moreno, Johnny Gonzalez. I mean, that's a, a murderer's... Oh, and um, Ponce de Leon as well. Uh, I mean, that's a murderer's row of, of all those people were in their primes. They were all fighting great. And you took all of them on. How? What is your mindset to do that? Like, you have to have a lot of confidence, don't you? Yes, a lot of confidence, uh, Al, definitely. I always believed in myself. And um, I want to backtrack it a little bit. When I first fought, my, my first title attempt was against Johnny Perez. It was on Showtime. I was the co-main event for Israel Vasquez against um, uh, Rafael Mar Marquez. I, yeah. I want to say it was a third fight, second or third fight. I remember stealing the – we stole the show. It was a close, really good fight against Johnny Perez where I thought I won. I did enough to win yeah. that title. Um, and unfortunately, I got a draw against Johnny Press. And then after that, it so it turns into a tournament. Remember the Showtime tournament? That's right, yeah. The Bantamweight tournament. And I'm the youngest, less experienced fighter out of all of them. Joseph Efeco, mm -hmm. Johnny Perez, and Victor Chinian. And I'm Samuel Moreno at the time. And I was the least experienced. And you remember this, Al? I took the whole tournament. I, yeah. beat, I beat Joseph Efeco. I beat Victor Chinian. And... To answer your question, obviously, I, I, I had the confidence. I knew I always believed in myself, but I also did not have any other option. 
Yeah. Period. I <laughs> didn't have any choice, other options. Huh? It, it was, it was, it was fighting these guys and proving myself, or I would not get another opportunity like the one I get, I got against Johnny Press. So I went in there, balls out, and and just you know proved to myself and proved to everyone that that I was deserving. And after that tournament, I was I was considered pound for pound list. I was considered one of the best. And unfortunately, after that tournament, I don't want to get ahead of myself here, Al. But that's when I suffered my first defeat. Um, no, I went on. I'm sorry. I went on. I beat on uh, someone where I went on. I beat uh, Ponce de Leon for, for the Bantamweight, turn, I mean, Bantamweight title. So, featherweight title, I'm sorry. And then I went on to fight Johnny, Johnny Gonzalez and suffered my first defeat. But it was, it was quite the ride, quite the, the fights. And, and I'm really proud to say that I fought them all, sizes and shapes and, and colors, and, and never said turn down a fight. Till this date. Let's talk for a second about that Johnny Gonzalez fight because I want to make a, a, uh, a confession. So I announced that fight, and at the time, I didn't really delve into too much when we were doing it, whether the stoppage was appropriate or not. It just, because you were hurt, it kind of seemed like, okay, you know, they stopped the fight. Um, it was early. It was in one, round one, correct? Um, and when I look back at that video, though, even two months later and the other times when I've looked at it, I actually think that was a quick stoppage and that you should have been given an opportunity to continue. Did you think that? I think the same thing. At the time, I will tell people, but um, I felt like if I were to say it, they they will see it as a they will see it as a as an excuse me trying yeah. to make they will see it as Abner Mott is not taking defeat as a man and I said all right ref did what he had to do and he did it but being like you said confessing reality and being honest to everyone and being honest to myself I honestly felt and feel that I could continue because I was aware of everything I looked up I'm like man I'm down again and it was I think it was less than ten seconds until the round ended. So if I would have got up, shaking my, you know, clean my 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 fist, would have said fight. The round would have been over. So you just never yeah. know, you know, you just never know what would have happened after. But yeah. what I do know is that I did lose that night, and and it was a, uh, you know, it was my first defeat by knockout, and you know, it was just, it was just that. Yeah, it was an interesting time. That it was uh, intriguing because that's one of those things where you look back on it. And and I know I had a different view. You, of course, had your view. But as you point out, you didn't really want to, uh, you know, dig into it. But I, when I look back on it, I'm like, oh, my, I, you know. And I actually felt bad because I feel while I didn't need to criticize the referee and yell at him, I probably should have called more attention to the fact that there's a it's questionable. But um, but I didn't. So well, we all make mistakes. Right. <laughs> um, now, you. You are now in a position where you're kind of thinking about your boxing future. Uh, can you share with the fans what you're looking at in terms of whether you return to fight or don't? Of course. Um, well, as people might remember, and if not, I'll refresh your memory. I was scheduled to fight uh, Tank Davis last year, February. Um, two weeks into before the fight, I got injured in a sparring session. I got a detached retina, and um, you know, which is bad, bad, bad eye injury. 
um, and unfortunately had to cancel the fight. Gervonta Davis went on to to fight himself against someone else and won. And since then, you know, I've been out. It's always been it's almost been two years out. And when people ask me if I'm retired, I tell them not quite yet because I feel like I'm still young. I'm st I still have the the, the the energy. I still have the age and and courage and and willingness. And not just that, you can have all that, but physically, if you don't feel ready, and if you're not ready, you just can't. Um, I feel like I am, and I'm going to. The whole plan was to come back this year. Unfortunately, we are hit with the COVID, obviously, with this pandemic that, you know, took a lot from all of us in every aspect and in, in any profession. And unfortunately, I was one of them that, you know, couldn't fight, couldn't get a fight, couldn't land a fight. And, and now I'm stuck till, until next year, early next year. I am looking forward to coming back seeing what I have left. I, I'm not, I don't have to prove anything out anymore. It's not mm -hmm. proving because I think I have done it. It's, it's, it's more like to see if I have anything left because I'm looking good in the gym. My, I tell my coaches, if I look bad, if you see, sense any, yeah. any, anything from me, from my body saying that, no, you, you shouldn't. Like I'm not going to name, name any names as, as in current fighters that are fighting that shouldn't at this time, but I don't want to be one of those. So I tell them all the time, make sure you tell me. And um, so I would not know until I'm in the ring for my next uh, fight if, if I'm ready or not or I should, if I should still be doing this or not. But the fact of the matter is that my doctor cleared me, my eye doctor. Um, my, my coach has cleared me, and, and my heart and desire has cleared me. So uh, I am coming back, and, and I cannot wait. So we should see Abner Mars back in the ring next year then. That For your fans, that will be – that will be something. And, and you're happy with the way you have looked when you've worked in the gym, huh? Yes. Yes. Yes, I have. I mean, not too, not yet at where I want to be, but obviously comfortable yeah. where, where I'm going to get, but yes, yes. My body's responding really well. You have started uh, a new chapter in your life. Um, you have done it before, but now it's, uh, it's taken a, a more definitive shape uh, as you, uh, become a boxing analyst, working with us at Showtime, uh, and uh, doing an excellent job. You, this was something that I think you were headed toward, uh, probably because you've sat in and done it. But uh, how did it feel to get uh, the opportunity to do this? Well, first of all, first and foremost, I'm really grateful, you know, towards the company uh, Showtime for giving me the opportunity for even considering me, you know, as a potential, you know, fighter analyst that could, you know, fulfill, you know, heavy shoes, you know, big shoes and, and, and to the person who used to have them, we used to be in that position. And also, um, I, I did see myself trying, attempting to, to, to be an analyst commentator because like you mentioned, I have done it in the past, but now I, I, I feel more of, um, I see it more of a, of a job, more more mm -hmm. of a, like, I, I really have to do my homework. Before it was, like, fun. It, it was more like, um, I don't know, it's like, but you're barely starting, you know, you're barely getting your feet wet. And now it's, like, a, it's, it's starting to look like my profession. Uh, but, like, people, like, to have people like yourself, people like Mo, people like Steve, uh, Brian, you know, and the whole crew from Showtime, makes it so and i mean so and i want to add another so easy <laughs> and so comfortable thank you guys so comfortable that i i don't see it as a job i don't think it, i think of it as that and and i one thing one thing i want to share 
is uh, Brian. Brian Custer said something really well and really that hit me, that really um, helped me out a lot, which was our last pay-per-view show that we had with uh, Jermel and Jamal. But she said, Abner, don't try to be a perfectionist. Don't try to be a pro. Don't try to be us. We study for this. You, you're the fighter. You've been inside the ring. Talk. Say what you see in the ring. Talk as a, as a, as a, as a, as a comfortable as yourself. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. And, you know, after he said that, a lot of weight went left. I had a lot of weight on my shoulders. I, I was so relieving. Like, you know what? You are so right. And things like that, the advices that you give me help out a lot. So I'm, I'm so forever grateful and so comfortable with the, with the team and looking forward to getting better. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's no different than anything else you do. It's getting reps and having a chance to, to figure out as you go, whether it's boxing or uh, being an analyst or anything else we do in life. Uh, and the good thing is you have an opportunity to, to, to work through things and, and uh, figure it out. And, uh, uh, and I think we view it at Showtime as we're all a team. And, uh, and I think that's, that's kind of what you're referring to. But it's not easy, Alan. You know it. A lot of people are like, well, yeah, but you practice the sport. You should be able to you know, talk it and, 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 you know, and just share what you see. Because It's of, not easy. No, but it's not that easy. It's not. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's just not, you know. And especially when that light hits you, boom, we're on live. <laughs> like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, man. But it's, it's just getting comfortable and getting used, getting reps, like you mentioned. And, and um, again, I'm really happy. Yeah, well, you've, uh, and, and it's, it's interesting because you were a, you have been a, a thinking fighter in the ring. So that adds to, to it. Now, um, we have uh, a, a show coming up on October 31st, which will be uh, very interesting. As you pointed out, you were all set to fight uh, Tank Davis, and uh, that rug got pulled out from under you just a few weeks before the fight and you were in the ring twice with Leo Santa Cruz in two epic battles so nobody on the planet is more <laughs> equipped to analyze the fight than you because you prepared for Davis and you fought Leo Santa Cruz given that this is a must be an intriguing fight for you to look at it is it is um a really exciting fight and on both ends because like you mentioned I fought Leo. I know what he's capable of doing. Uh, um, he's a smart fighter, a lot smarter than what people take him for and give mm -hmm. give it, um, credit for. They think he's just a balling puncher, a guy that just throws a lot in the ring. Yes, he is all that, plus a thinker in there. Uh, um, and again, you know, uh, a guy against Tank Davis. Tank Davis that yet has to be proven, and I'm going to continue to say that until he fights a, a, a decent uh, opponent. And not not so much the word decent, but Fighters like Leo Santa Cruz, fighters yeah. like, you know, like, you know, uh, Gumball that he fought last. Um, but, um, but definitely it's not as easy as people think. Uh, it's definitely a fight that I, I think Leo is in there to prove uh, that um, he could withstand a punch, but not withstanding it by, by standing in front and getting hit and like, oh, let me test your punch. No, being smart. I think Leo has a great boxing abilities he's, he's got a great defense for sure he, he blocks I mean the, the advantage this guy has is that he puts his arms here up in his face and he's got his elbow up to his to his knees already like his, <laughs> his arms are so long is you know yeah. uh, that length 
that you know covers his whole whole, whole uh, rib cage, and so it's it's almost impossible to get a clean shot against Leo, despite him always fighting toe to toe and catching punches. But but I think he's going to be a lot smarter with Tank Davis. And and again uh, on Tank's side, I think that Tank, this whole pandemic, this whole quarantine has definitely definitely benefited Tank Davis a lot, 100% because. You don't see him out anymore. You don't see him with the wrong crowd. You don't see him out partying because everything's closed. So now you yeah, see a true. concentrated. You see a concentrated. You see a guy that's um, is ready to to really prove and to really show the people that he is that person, that fighter that a lot of people have been talking for many years that yet he has not proven because of those distractions that I just mentioned. So um, um, it's a really intriguing, really exciting matchup, despite the. A little bit the the weight differences there, but let's let's remind people out they're bringing, uh, they're shrinking down a Tank Davis to a one thirty. So, Leo might have an advantage there. This fight, uh, uh, to some people's mind, uh, is the high volume punching of uh, Leo Santa Cruz versus the power punching of Tank Davis. Fights are never that simple, of course, but that's kind of the broad headline of this, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. I'm, I mean, I mean, there's no other way you could see it now, you know, other than power puncher Tank Davis and, and, and just a guy that has many rounds and is so experienced in Leo Santa Cruz and a volume puncher all day. You could throw 12, 15, 20 rounds if you, if you give him that many rounds. So it's, uh, it's an interesting fight. Again, a fighter that yet has to be tested in the late rounds that has been, and we almost saw the difficulties he had against Gamboa. In the right. later rounds, you know, so it should be, again, an interesting fight. Yeah, that's for sure. If you, uh, um, if somebody uh, came to you 10 years from now and they were going to say what the legacy of Avner Maras was as a fighter, what do you think they would say to you? Um, things that I get until this date, which is they don't remember if I lost or won any fights. They don't bring up, oh, you lost against this guy. No, like, thank you for the great fight. Admiral, what a great fight. You're a champion. In and out. out. I, I, I always think I'm a, I'm a guy that likes to leave a legacy, not just inside the ring, but outside. Because um, people forget, you know, the fighter that you are. But you know what's going to remind them? That good person, that good-hearted, that, that humble, that good person, period. That I am, that I always will be because that's what I got taught, you know, my principles and... And the combination of both just makes it, you know, makes you to be just an all-time favorite, period. So I think, I think people are going to remember, remember me as that. Yeah, I think, you know, you, you uh, have always been a great ambassador for the sport. And you have always given boxing fans their money's worth in the ring. So nobody could ask for anything more than that. Uh, and uh, that's for sure. Now, you, you are uh, going to do something that you've never done before, and that is you get to vote in the election because you, uh, you got your U.S. citizenship. We talked about the fact that you were born in Mexico and you, uh, you, know, you, you actually fought for the Mexican team in the Olympics, and so you, you had to get your U.S. citizenship. And you get to vote. We tend to, some of us that have had that right for a long time, tend to forget how special that is. It is. It is a special moment. Um, I'm really excited. I'm really looking forward to it. Right. This is my first year, and it couldn't even been been better. 
at the at the time that we are today. That is, I mean, it's always it, it is always important to vote. But it I feel is. that today, in this time, in this moment, is even greater and more important to vote. So to me, to be to have the privilege, the honor to 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 have the, the privilege to to vote uh, for the first time is just great. My wife, I want to say it, and I I have to say it because I'm a little ashamed of that. She went ahead and did it already. And without telling me, and she said, "Hey, you know, I can't do everything for you, son. <laughs> because <laughs> you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta go and register yourself and, and get ready for it." So she did it. Um, I already registered, and I am ready to 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 make that importance in in, in America. That's great. Hey, Abner, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, visit with me on this show, and I look forward to us working together in the next few uh, in the next couple of months with some good fights. Yes, looking forward to it too, Al. Thank you for the space. Take care. God bless you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. So Abner Mara's uh, giving, I think, some fascinating uh, answers about uh, his career and also suggesting that we may or may not have seen the last of Abner in the ring. It sounds like he wants at least one more fight to see what he has has left, and we'll see how that goes. And of course, he'll continue to be my partner on the uh, the Showtime Boxing. Great. Well, we've got some more questions to get to. Ah, questions. Why don't we move I live there for right your now? Questions, Trip. Just how much of a statement has Custio Clayton made in the division after his performance on October twenty fourth, which you called? Yeah, he fought very, very well uh, against uh, Sergey Lipinets. For those that don't know Castillo Clayton, he's one of the best amateur fighters that Canada has produced uh, in the last few decades. A- and he competed in the Olympic Games. And he's undefeated, was undefeated, and still is as a pro uh, coming into the Sergey Lipinets fight. And he and Lipinets put on a very intriguing fight and a good one. And it, it had, you know, lots of spots with good action. And they ended up fighting to a draw. Uh, and I, I personally thought, actually, that Clayton might have won it by uh, a point or two, a couple of points. Uh, but, but it was a close fight. And they ended up with the draw. 
I think Clayton proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is among the top seven or eight welterweights in the world. Uh, and uh, he is an excellent ring technician. And uh, the only thing he has to be mindful of, and it caught up to him a little bit in this fight when it was a, uh, a draw, is to make sure he does enough each round so that uh, judges can't take rounds away from him. But it, it was an excellent performance by him. And I hope we have a rematch of his fight with Lipinets. Yeah, and you made a really good comment that Lipniet was doing a great job of getting the body, and you were hoping that the judges would recognize that. Yeah, and they did. Uh, I, I, it always bothers me when fighters concentrate their attack to the body, and it's effective, and judges don't give them the credit. Uh, a perfect example of, of a fighter getting credit for that is many, many years ago when Kenny Norton fought uh, Jimmy Young. You couldn't hit Jimmy Young to the head. It was almost impossible. Uh and Kenny Norton made a conscious decision that he was going to go to the body about 80 to 90% of the time. And, of course, it's hard to protect both the body and the head. Kenny Norton did one of the best jobs of body punching I've ever seen. And, astonishingly, the judges gave him credit for it. And he won a uh, close decision over Jimmy Young. That was how he won the heavyweight title. Well, you you guys did a great job on that fight. And now we're going back to a promising young fighter. Many, many years ago, Jamie Mejia asked, Al, when you were a fighter as an amateur back <laughs> in the Windy City, what weight class were you at and what was your record? Because we know uh, this, the last part, we know it was zero at the end. Yeah. Oh, well, not exactly. No. Um, I, yeah. So my, my uh, fabled boxing career as an amateur uh, I think we can say uh, I fought as a uh, at 178 pounds, and um, I was mostly fought in the park district competitions, and uh, I lost several fights. I, I want to say I won about oh 28 fights or 27, but I lost. I'm going to say three or four, uh, and those three or four were toward the end. And were kind of an indication to me that I had kind of reached my plateau as a boxer. Uh, at the time, I was a baseball player playing in high school and uh, looking to play in college. And so I, I kind of had to harness my athletic uh, approach. And I ended up not deciding not to box anymore because I'd lost a couple of matches against better amateurs. And I said, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to, I think I've reached my plateau and uh, I think we're kind of done with this. So uh, I did not make anybody uh, forget Mark Breland as an amateur, you know, um, it was, but it was fun. I enjoyed it a great deal. And uh, even now I get letter or uh, I'll get emails or, or tweets or texts from, uh, from guys that I boxed against. Uh, back then, who of course know me from TV now, and uh, one of them I got, he said, uh, you know, just don't ever forget that I beat you when you were an amateur. I was like, thank you for reminding me of that. I really appreciate that. Do you think there's any video of your old fights out there? You know, I've looked. I can't find any. Uh, and no, we didn't take any films. Uh, the only thing that exists of me boxing is some video from when I went back in, uh, Was this was in the 80, late 80s, I'm going to say, uh, I went back in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, my friend Phil Daly, who's since left us, uh, had a, a tournament of, uh, a, not a tournament, but a, a night of, of, uh, of amateur boxers that used to box and some celebrity boxing. 
And I went down there and I boxed against a, uh, a news anchor, a sports anchor that was on the uh, station down there in Lake Charles, who was a former uh, football player in, uh, in college at McNeese State. And uh, it, was a, <laughs> it was a fun experience. Uh, I, 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 you know, I, I, he was like, he, weigh, he outweighed me by about 40 pounds, I think. And uh, his wife came up to me just before the, the fight and said to me, you're not gonna hurt him, are you? <laughs> I, said, I said, you know, I don't know. I, I'll try not to. Um, and, and so I got in the ring and I, he had this giant uh, helmet on, you know, boxing, uh, sparring helmet. I didn't wear one, uh, I didn't wear any helmet. And I kept bouncing her right hands off his head. And you know, I was pretty sure after about the fifth one, I said, you know, and I wasn't, you know, no, the intention was not to kill anybody, but but he had to land some punches. And I, he didn't even, I, I think that that helmet was so big. It was one of the biggest sparring helmets I've ever seen. I, don't, I think I could have been hitting him with a baseball bat, and he would have never <laughs> felt that right hand. So my answer, at one point, I went back in the first round, and I thought about it, what his wife said. And I said, you know what, no worries, uh, you know, uh, unless I hit him with a couple body shots that hurt him. Uh, he, he's not going to get hurt to the head. But uh, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Now, I think that's the only, I got a teensy little bit. We should probably show that on the show. That would be fun, wouldn't we? Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see if I can find it. I had, uh, it's very brief. It's very short. It's just a clip or two. But uh, I'll see what I can do about locating that. Because, you know, you might want to make fun of me or something. Uh, never, never. Hey, do you think you would have been interested in MMA if it was around when you were growing up? No, I really don't. I, I got to be honest, and, and I'm going to be real honest. I, I saw boxing as a, boxing to me was a sport, you know, and I'm not saying MMA isn't, but it, it is. But I wanted to get in and function doing, doing certain, uh, you know, using the fundamentals of the sport. And I wasn't really interested in I've got to be honest. I wasn't interested in a blood and guts battle. It wasn't. It didn't interest me. And that's what MMA often uh, comes down to. You know, uh, I was I was a boxer puncher who liked uh, to keep his space. Of course, I was going to get hit. You always get hit when you're in a boxing ring. But um, I was not. Uh, the MMA as a sport, I think, would have been a little too edgy for me. I just didn't. Uh, I, I I don't think I would have gravitated to it. So. Uh, well, speaking of anyway, a good was... transition into uh, talking about Tom Yankello, uh, someone who's yeah. very precise and, and uh, can help boxers and fans understand the precision, then it is the sweet science. Yeah, the World Class Boxing Channel, uh, Tom Yankello's channel, ha uh, which has excellent videos uh, explaining to you uh, different techniques of boxing and strategies. Uh, and for a young boxer, it's terrific. And it's terrific for anyone because um, when you watch those videos, it, it gives you a real good idea of the breakdown of certain fights. And he often talks about what uh, famous fighters would, how they would have approached something. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's a very, it, the videos are great. So go to the World Class Boxing Channel with our friend Tommy Ankello and you can get some great, uh, some great uh, tips and insights into the sport of boxing. Well, my thanks to uh, Abner Morris for joining us on this show. Uh, my thanks to Trip Mitchell, of course, for uh, hosting with me. And uh, we will see you next time here on Albertstein Unplugged.